Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the next episode of the Challenge of the Podcast. Today I'm actually going to be here by myself. Uh, we couldn't get um, appropriate recording time, you know, we couldn't get our schedules uh, to work out with Jakub. So this week I'm going to be by, by myself, but don't worry, he's going to be back in, in, in seven days. Um, what, I, what I have to say at the beginning, uh, I'm still going to go over our qualifier predictions, uh, which he, by the way, won. But I'm probably going to do that at the end of the episode. We also do this drafting game usually uh, of the qualifiers before Islam, and we did it over messages. And I'm just going to bring it, you know, uh, try to introduce some context and, you know, uh, talk about why we went for certain picks anyway. <clears throat> I think it should work out fine uh, by myself as well. And another thing is that he sent me over his, um, you know, his uh, winner predictions for the challenger events. So we can keep that going as well. And I think without further ado, I'm just going to jump into the, the events that we've had this week. And of course, I think that, well, there were two 75s, one of them in Nontaburi, the other one in Oirash. Uh, so I think we're going to start with Nontaburi, where Artur Kazo won uh, his second challenger title as a qualifier against Lloyd Harris in the final. Harris was my pick, and I actually was... You know, I had a, I had a great chance to go perfect this week, which I don't think has ever happened. Like even even in weeks with just two events, I don't think we've ever had that. Uh, all of all of my winner picks were in the final this week, but uh, only Lloyd Harris lost. But anyway, Artur Kazo, uh, we need to talk about him. Of course, he uh, made it as a qualifier. This is his second challenge of the title, second as a qualifier. And do you remember where the first one was? Yes, Nontaburi last year. It was in fact also Nontaburi Part Two which is, is, is the same here. Um, but the difference was that last year he lost in the qualifying for Nontaburi Part 1 and then uh, and then won Nontaburi Part 2. And in Nontaburi Part 3, he was in the final, lost to retired to Stuart Parker. And here he didn't even play Nontaburi Part 1. Anyway, of course, um, you know, Kazo was one of our picks, um, especially mine, I think, for a guy who could break through in 2022. There were just some moments on the ITF tour in 2021, uh, some moments uh, even in, in bigger events, like when he beat Korda or Manarino on clay, when he played Mike Schack at Ron Garros. Like, you could see that this guy is very close to a breakthrough, but it didn't happen. You know, he was injured for most of the year. He started in March, then had a long, like, you know, didn't really get back to his previous uh, form. And then he took an indefinite break even because he just had to, you know, get himself together. He had to heal up. He started playing too early and that was, that was another problem. Then when he started playing well, like in Nontaburi, he got injured again. And that was basically the story of Artur Kazo's 2022. And hopefully this one is going to be much better. Uh, because the game is there, you know, he, uh, he's got this great serve for his height, which we've been talking about a lot. Uh, he's super aggressive, uh, very comfortable, you know, playing on the rise, getting to the net. Uh, I really think that this guy is one of the, you know, out of the young Frenchmen, 
probably along with Fields, maybe maybe De Bruyne, maybe Patrick Pericard. You know, with De Bruyne, it's kind of hard to tell because we still don't. You know, it, it's still very hard to say what his game will look like in a few years. You know, Casal, Fields, even Patrick Pericard, we we already know uh, like what's uh, what's going to happen with their games, like how how are they going to approach tennis? You know, game plan as a whole. Um, I think uh, Cazot, along with these guys, is probably one of the the young Frenchmen who can do something on the main tour in the future. Of course, it's still a very long journey. But, you know, first week of the year, a title, and hopefully this time he's going to be healthy because I think that really boils down to it. Uh, it has to be mentioned that he saved three match points against Prajnaj Gunesvaran in the second round. And all of them were rallies, even though they were on Cazot's serve. Um, two of them, I think... Uh, I think Munezvaran made like a borderline forced unforced error on one of them. One of them was clearly forced and there was also a slice approach uh, and then a winner from Kazo after a medium length rally. So quite that scene there as well. And yeah, he also beat Denis Novak, so Jakub's pick uh, in the semi-final. Novak, of course, won the first event in Nontaburi and uh, his winning streak ended at eight. Uh, so yeah, stellar week. Uh, he also lost the set to Omni Kumar in the qualifying, which is kind of wild to think about now. But um, yeah, in general, we, we're going to talk about it later, but the set of winners that we got this week is so exciting, so young, so fresh. And also just, you know, on a, on a personal level, th- these are really guys, all, all three winners this week that I absolutely adore watching and I hope they will, uh, you know, be a part of uh, main tour tennis for, for a long time in the future as well. Um, I, I think all of them really have the chance to do that. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, I don't know if they're exactly slam winning talents. Um, I think maybe if, if either of them maybe feels, but, you know, it, it's it's really hard to tell at this stage of their careers. But I, I, I think they have everything, uh, you know, everything they need to... Uh, being the top 100 and you know stay there for a long while. Anyway, uh, Lloyd Harris was in the final, just like we talked about uh, last week. Um, he basically, I don't think he can complain about the start to the year. You know, after missing half a year, uh, he comes out, he destroys pretty much every single one, every single opponent on the way to the final, and then loses to Kazal, which is definitely no shame when the Frenchman is playing like that. Uh, Harris, uh, you know, got a lot of quality playtime uh, to start the season. He held up physically more or less, although there were some moments when you could kind of like think, especially in the junk semi, I think, like whether he's conserving energy or maybe he's just tired. Um, you know, playing the final here probably killed his Australian Open chances. I think by the time you listen to this, you're already going to know the result of Musetti Harris. Uh, I don't. But the fact is that on Saturday morning, he played the final in Nontaburi. And, well, morning, I mean, my time. And on Monday morning, my time, he needs to play in Melbourne. And apparently even the, the, the like, the connections are pretty tough from Bangkok because, like, Nontaburi is very close to Bangkok. I think even, like, you know, um, a, a borough of some kind or something like that. Um, getting from there to Melbourne is going to be very tough. So, I don't know, 48 hours. I, I think it killed his chances of upsetting Musetti if they were high anyway. Like, I... I you know, maybe he didn't have any in the first place. I don't know. Uh, but definitely a super solid, super positive couple of weeks for him. Uh, very excited to see more. You know, it, it looks like he's going to be a massive threat at the challenger level again. I don't know if get back into the top 30 because it kind of felt like he was playing a bit above his potential, honestly, even at his peak. Like it felt like it maybe is like, a, you know, the best season of his career when he was doing that. But we'll see. 
uh, it certainly cannot be excluded. Uh, then we also had Denis Novak, whom I already mentioned in the semifinals. Uh, yeah, enough said, really. I mean, he, he just continued his disposition from Nontaburi. Uh, was definitely not the better player against Kazo. Uh, Kazo kind of led him back into the match from 6-4, 4-2 up. Uh, but ended up winning anyway in the third set. And yeah, I think Novak's, you know, physically was also kind of down already, which was understandable going for his ninth win in a row. And another semi-finalist, I think uh, a very surprising one was Jason Jung, uh, who, well, um, in, in the past couple of years, of course, hasn't really gotten many big results. Uh, he seems to have declined a fair bit. But if I, if I remember correctly, he was also... Um, he also had like a pretty decent run in 2022, right? Uh, at the end of the year in, in the Asian challengers uh, in one of them. Uh, so perhaps, you know, he can he can still show something to us. But um, in general, Jason Junk feels, feels like it's going to be really tough for him to return to where he was. Which, by the way, I mean, his career high of 114, right? I just, just um, you know, it, it feels like such a long while ago after what he's been doing, like basically since the pandemic, he hasn't really had a good year. Uh, and by the way, uh, Jason Jung drew Arthur Cazot in the qualifying for Don Tapui part three and already lost when I'm recording this. So uh, that's a nasty draw, of course, for for both players. Uh, kind of crazy, you know. And and then Cazot, <laughs> like Cazot wins the tournament, uh, Jung is in the semis. And then next week they play each other in the qualifying, and uh, Kazo uh, like even uh, Kazo was even supposed to face Uchiyama, uh, but Uchiyama ended up losing to um, uh, sorry Uchiyama ended up uh, withdrawing. So uh, you know if if Uchiyama hadn't withdrew hadn't withdrawn, then Kazo it was possible for him to have to play Jung uh, Uchiyama to even get to the main draw of the next event, which is really crazy. Uh, and I do have to mention my compatriots uh, Daniel Michalski who made it to the quarterfinals of uh, first... Uh, well, it's a first, of course, quarterfinal at a hardcore slam for him, uh, a hardcore challenger for him, slam, yeah. He wishes. He, wa- he was actually a quarterfinalist at a hardcore slam at the US Open Juniors, but, you know, uh, junior uh, in junior tennis, we've seen, a, we've seen it a lot of times that the surfaces don't matter. Like, the fact that you're good on one surface doesn't necessarily mean that in your pro career you're going to be uh, great on it. Uh, Iga Świątek is a great example, right? Anyway, um, Michalski beat Mochizuki, which, you know, I knew he had a chance, sort of, but the scalp over Travaglia was amazing. And you could see that guy who, who played at the United Cup, you know, who played Westler's cutoff, who was playing tennis way above his ranking and way above his capabilities on hard courts, then was totally smashed of the court by Musetti, who, you know, I, I think there's a big contrast between one of the most creative and inventive players on the tour and Michalski, who's, you know, as much as I, uh, you know, I, I, I wish the guy well, he is like fairly basic in his abilities, of course, uh, but definitely, you know, works super hard for it. And I'm, 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 I'm always glad when I see a good result for him, honestly. Uh, he, he, he is a, he's a very nice guy who, you know, knows what he needs to improve and like sort of knows, um, knows what sort of tennis he needs to play in order to get better, in, in order to beat a better opponent, just doesn't always, of course, have the ability to. And especially on hard courts, this run is huge for him. And he, for what it's worth, he actually played a very decent match against Lloyd Harris as well. Uh, he was much closer to beating him than Moraing or Jason Jung. And I think it was that confidence from the United Cup where maybe he lost all his matches, but still against Skatov and against Wessler, 
He played very well, especially against Skatov. He was probably the better player in the opening set. Against Wesler, not really, but it was much closer than, than the scoreline suggests. And he was also hitting his forehand very well. Uh, you know, and having a weapon is something that he uh, that he really needs in order to make any progress from here. But a hardcore uh, hardcore challenge at quarterfinal is huge for him for sure. And then doubles Yuki Bambri and Sakev Meneni won the title over a very interesting pairing of Christopher Runkat and Atira Santi- uh, Akira Santian. I know it's already like you know a bit of a uh, cult uh, pair for some. Uh, which, uh, yeah, I, I totally understand. I mean, Runkat is, is, is definitely a legend that, that a lot of us remember for being like the only player from Indonesia that, uh, that we know. And Santian with the, with the crazy antics is, is always fun as well. And of course, very talented, even if he'll probably not do that much with it anymore. At least that's how it seems. But yeah, Bambri and Meneni, another title. They also beat Gengel Pavlasek uh, in the semis, whom I think Gengel Pavlasek won on Taburi the week before. And the final, they saved plenty of match points. Uh, pretty crazy match. Uh, Bambri, of course, recently retired from singles. Now he's focusing on doubles. He's already in like the top 100 in doubles. And seems like he can have a very decent career in that part of the sport. Uh, anyway, yeah, we're going to go to Oeirash now, which was uh, another event, uh, well, another 75. Uh, back uh, last week, Oeirash was a 50. This time it was a, it was a bigger category. And uh, Arthur Fields won the title over Yoris Delore. Uh, we both got a point uh, with Jakub for Arthur Fields here. Uh, we even joked about, you know, picking him a few times in the past, but that right now when we're picking him together... The, you know, the, the, the power of our joint picks is going to take him to the title. And it did. Of course, actually, he took himself to the title. He lost a second set against the Vessels in the opening round 0-6 uh, in like 25 minutes. I didn't watch it. I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, but then he had a very tough one uh, in the second round against Chemilkar, which he won convincingly and kind of went on from there. I think the biggest difference between Fields this week and the other runs that we saw from him was actually um, the way he approached, you know, clutch moments, um, key key points. Against Barankis, he was down 5-3 in the opening set and won it, won it, uh, to, won the match 2-0. Uh, this, uh, this is the sort of thing that usually happens to him, not to his opponents. And in the in the final as well, um, Delor was very tired, right? Delor won the first title in Oeirash, of course, the, the week before. Uh, he was going for like his, um, I have to count, like 12 win in 14 days, I believe, by the time we reached the final. And it showed for sure. But if, you know, perhaps he could have navigated that fatigue if Fields was just subpar or Fields was just letting him do anything. Fields was about barely giving him room to breathe. But he finally did the... Uh, Fields lead led six uh, one for two, and suddenly it was four five down, and seven set points for Delor in total. Uh, I don't think it was. I think all of them were like singular. There wasn't any when when Fields had to save two uh, set points in a row. But uh, why I'm talking about it? Pretty much great serving on all of these balls. There was literally one that Delor had a play on, and Fields was. I wouldn't say saved by a net court because the, the ball was clearly crossing over. But, you know, still pretty lucky. It could have helped the lore even more or something like that. And three of them were unreturned serves and three of them were just set up by a serve, you know, for, for him to kill it with the plus one forehand. Or one was a plus one forehand and then a volley winner. But that doesn't really matter. Like, he was just ultra clutch there. And he took that second set in a tiebreaker. 
great performance, great week. Uh, hopefully, this is the start of a breakthrough year because I mean, I honestly believe that Fields can get to like the top 100 this year, um, especially if he's playing like that. I mean, come on. Uh, he would have been in a similar situation like Kazo because Oeiras and Nontaburi finals were on Saturday. So he was supposed to play Tenerife, so he also would have had to play qualifying, but he, he decided to withdraw. Uh, anyway, you know, they, they don't get special exempts because uh, the finals were on Saturday and the qualies on started start on Sunday, so there was no conflict. Uh, but yeah, fantastic run for Fields. Of course, we knew he had the game to do it. Uh, it's just a question of what, like whether mentally he will deliver. And this week, he for sure did. Delor was amazing again. I, I read a great interview with him on the ATP website. Well, it was like some quotes maybe maybe from him. Uh, but it was interesting to see, you know, how much belief he st- still has that he has the game to break the top 100. Uh, I honestly thought that he definitely has the game to match his uh, career high, which is 174 uh, from 2016. Uh, but I do believe that, you know... W- if he's playing like that, even top 100 is not impossible. He was a little gassed in the opening round against Medvedevich, but after that, he was just a beast. Again, uh, you know, the, the serve was insane. Um, he was playing so much more even aggressively, I think, in, on, in, in, uh, in some of the matches than he was last week. Uh, perhaps it was related to, you know, trying to conserve energy. Um, he, he, he was clearly feeling super confident out there. And yeah, I mean, after seven surgeries, <laughs> this is this is such an amazing story, right? And and I hope it, it continues. I hope he, he plays well again. Uh, anyway, we also had, uh, in the semis, we had Herbert, who lost to Delore. Very positive week for him as well, I think. Uh, he was, again, um, like the execution on his volleys, on his attacking combinations, it's, it's rusty. It's rusty as hell. Uh, but he did beat Gigante, he he beat Giannu and he beat Pedro Souza. Souza very convincing, convincingly. I thought he was going to do more to Delors. But anyway, yeah, uh, you know, getting getting so, so much playtime, which he clearly needs, is, is always good. And there's going to be plenty of French indoor challengers that I'm sure some of them will, will want to give him wild cards, right? He, he's still a big name. He's still a... Uh, well, in, in a way, uh, you know, you could say that he's a legend of French tennis, of course, mostly for his doubles abilities. Like you wouldn't say he's a legend of French singles tennis, but you know he's still he's still someone who uh, was very important to this to this sport in this country and is still. So I think they should probably give him plenty of wild cards, maybe even to the ATP events, right? It, it, if he if he like gets a few wins in Quimper or something, I think it's very possible. And the last semifinalist was Ricardas Berankis, who played a bit better this week. Uh, I have to say. I still think he looks very far off his best and like kind of, you know, washed. But then again, you know, perhaps like uh, like guys like Herbert, perhaps he just needs more time. Uh, he needs to get stronger physically for actually playing matches, maybe. Uh, hopefully that's the case. And uh, it, ha- it has to be said that in the quarters, he also beat Dino Prismic, who had another very, very solid run uh, from the qualifying throw. Uh, this time couldn't get to, or was it the was it the quarters that he lost in last time as well, or or the semis? I cannot remember. Anyway, uh, yeah, that that that's where his run uh, ended for now. But it was a very 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 tight match with with Berankis and um, yeah, the the youngster of course remains one to watch. I think it was a quarterfinal last time as well when he lost to Delors. Uh, yeah, and the doubles in Irish, uh, Arendt and Pell uh, won that over Niklas Salmin and Stevens. 
but I think it will be mostly remembered for the incident in the match between Coelho Faria and um, Douglas Locke, which I think it was Courtney Locke actually who uh, who pointed it out on uh, you know the doubles specialist from Zimbabwe who pointed it out on Twitter, posted a video, then it was picked up by some major accounts like Ben Rodenberg, for example. Uh, Faria was angry and uh, threw a racket and like he threw it away in a way which like it, it almost decapitated Dugas uh, which was you know you, you can see it on Twitter easily just type in the names you know Dugas Lock or Coelho Faria you, you can definitely find it easily um, decapitated of course is a bit of a stretch but like it would have been super painful and of course if he hit him he would have been defaulted because I'm sure that there would be uh, you know, there would be no way that uh, Dugas would be just like, yeah, I'm okay. No, no way with that sort of power from the rocket. I think. Um, hopefully, you know, nothing would have happened. Uh, he got a warning for that. Uh, some people, including Rodenberg, suggested that he should have been defaulted. I, you know, we would have to check the rule book, but I think if there's no punishment for like, you know, there's there's no extreme punishment for merely doing something. But of course, it was a crappy thing to do, and um, yeah, one of the, the the controversies, I guess, this this week on the Challenger Tour. Anyway, uh, we go to the third event in Tigre, which was a Challenger Fifty again, and Juan Manuel Serundolo won that, giving me my fourth point after two weeks and just eight events. I'm on fifty percent accuracy when it comes to predicting the winners, which is crazy. And Jakub is on thirty-seven and a half. But it has to be said that these winners were pretty easy to predict, right? I mean, we landed uh, a couple of top seeds, I think, last week, Serundolo and uh, Fucevic, and now Serundolo again, and uh, for me uh, only, and fees for both of us. So, you know, these were pretty pretty easy winners so far, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully we keep this going, although it's impossible. Anyway, Serundolo was pretty much great most of the time again. He struggled a bit with Lavagno and with uh, De Jong. I thought Lavagno actually played pretty well, although that was the match where Juan seemed a little gassed, maybe. Uh, but against De Jong, it was a similar story to to the final against Murker Delian. Uh, with Murker, it was the first set that was weak for Serundolo, here the second. But it was generally him not getting enough depth and the, play, the other player, you know, getting uh, the... Um, Thanks to that, being able to swing more freely, uh, stay on top of the point. Uh, I think Juanma might honestly be a more complete player right now than he was when he won that Cordoba 250. Uh, and that's mostly because of that new, more aggressive version of him that we often see. But, uh, you know, he still needs to work on getting consistent depth, I think, and also stay healthy and, you know, good things will come and good things are happening to him all over the place. I mean, he is currently 24 and 3 in his last 27 matches. And since October, he's won four challenger titles. You know, this this is this is just incredible and he's so much better than most of the players he's, he's facing at this level and and this shows. Uh so excited to see what he will do at the Golden Swing right this year because that could be like the way for him to to return to uh, to where he was before the before the injuries. Of course, perhaps go even higher because, well, in 2023, up until that October um, t- title, he's not defending much, really. So I think this career high of 79 that he's that he's had since uh, last January could be easily beatable this year. Um, but we'll see. He needs to he needs to stay healthy. That's that's the main priority, of course. Uh, and then good things will come for sure. 
Jesper de Jong had a very good run, uh, beat Camilo Gokarabelli, who was Jakub's pick in the second round. Camilo, I think, led 4-0 in the opening set and then just completely, um, his level just went down so much. It was weird to, to watch. Um, and yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's really all that there is to say. But De Jong definitely had, had his moments as well, even if that second round wasn't exactly that. He beat Villanueva, so the semifinalists from last week in, in, in the quarters, and then Gianessi as well in the semifinals. It was a very good matchup until 6-4-5-2 when he dropped the next five games, but recovered super well in the, to, to win the decider. I think this is his first um, challenger final in like... Um, since November 2021, which was also in South America. Uh, he, I didn't even realize he had such a terrible 2022 campaign, but, you know, seeing Jesper de Jong outside the top 300 is just so weird to me, uh, especially remembering that he played in all uh, Grand Slam qualifying events in 2022. So that's uh, that, that's just, you know, when, when, I, when I saw this ranking of his, that right now of course before before the the event in tigra uh when i saw that ranking i was i was really shocked uh but yeah he, he doesn't belong there right he doesn't belong outside the top 300 talent wise and and it's good that he's coming uh back to to, to where he should be i think uh perhaps you know he needs a bit more results to do that but you know, this is this is a good start. Um, just 30 points of course but it's still more than winning a, a, um, you know a 25k uh, so it will potentially, you know, help him in the in the next uh, couple of weeks. He's returned to the next three hundred, uh, the, the top three hundred. So it, it should help him you know, for the rest of the season to to sort of get better draws, get into better 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 challenger draws as well. And South America, I think, is a good direction for him. Like he, um, as you know, he feels good when it's a little faster there. He feels good when it's a little slower there, even I think and. Uh, most of the guys in the field, he has a very good chance of beating. So, uh, yeah, a great week for, for the Dutchman as well. And Andrea Colarini also made the semifinals after... Well, he is making his matches uh, a bit too much of a mess a lot of the time, especially the second round against Ekargui, but this time it didn't result in a, in a, in a round one loss like in uh, like, like last week. And he it's just a bit of a shame that he was crushed by Servando so much. Like I, I wouldn't say I was expecting fireworks, but you know when Juan Manuel Serrano, also someone with constantly suspect physicality, is, is going for back-to-back titles, you would sort of expect that maybe Colarini is gonna have a shot at least, you know, at least push him, uh, which did not happen. Uh, he he took just four games, and I think in the past Colarini was actually always playing pretty well against Serrano. Or you know he he beat him last year. He had a couple of close battles with him in 2021, so uh, so that's why it was a bit of a surprise for me. But uh, still a good run for Colarini, who recently has been suffering a lot of uh, close defeats. Uh, yeah, and I believe we can easily go to the doubles here, which were won by Daniel Dutra da Silva and Oleg, Prich- Oleg Prichotko. That's a very interesting pairing because, well, Prichotko has been uh, an okay challenger doubles player for sure, but Dutra da Silva, it, it's actually his first title. Uh, and yeah, he you know he doesn't really strike you as the doubles <laughs> classic doubles specialist in terms of his playstyle, but he did fine. They they beat the Huertas del Pino brothers. They beat Colarini Cuevas, which uh, Cuevas I mean Martin of course, which sounds like a very good pairing. Uh, Andreotti Caru didn't um, you know go back to back because they lost to Yun Seong Chang and Christian Langmo, so the fine the finalists of of this event. 
And um, this, uh, with this, I think we can go to upset of the week and match, match of the week. Upset of the week for the bookies was Fariat beating Komesania, which I don't buy. Uh, Komesania hasn't won a match, by the way, since winning these uh, back-to-back Challenger 50s over Navone in June. So it's been seven months. Uh, I know it's Fariat, you know, he, he's not exactly maybe... You know, he has some potential, I guess, but he hasn't that well developed yet. But yeah, that the fact that, uh, that this is supposed to be the upset of the week if Komesania hasn't won in seven months, now nah, I don't see it especially as most of his losses since were blowouts. And I'm going to go with Michalski over Travalia. As I, as I said earlier, I did not expect it. Travalia was actually the first top 100 opponent that Daniel ever played in Sopot 2019. I was, I was obviously live at that match. Uh, he was totally crushed. Travalia was in a different spot back then, I know. But still, uh, you know, it, that one was on clay. This one was on hard courts. I uh, did not see that coming at all. And I think Daniel played an excellent match for you know, for what he can do on the court, I think it was a very good performance against uh, still a good opponent. I mean, Travalia might not be at his best, but the the, the skills that he has, you know, the, the natural ability, it's always going to shine through in some way, at least. And for match of the week, I think, honestly, there was a bit of a shortage in memorable matches, but I decided to go with Kazo Gunesvaran. I mentioned that match earlier. Uh, Kazo, uh, you know, Kazo saving three match points ended up being very important. And well, as I said, he's one of my favorite youngsters to watch. And Prajnaj Gunesvaran has been quite impressive in the last few weeks, certainly playing much better than through most of 2022. Even it maybe it doesn't show yet in his uh, in his results, you know, because he had a very tight battle with Marter in Pune. Uh, then only got to the second round in Nontaburi. But as I said, you know, be- beating Kolaj maybe isn't that much of an achievement at the moment. But yeah, pretty, played a very good match with Kazo. And in, in general, in the past few months, Gunes Varan has been slowly returning to a, a decent level uh, for his standards. Yes, and then I'm going to talk about the three events that uh, are going to happen this week. And then we will finish with the Australian Open stuff. Uh, Tenerife. A Challenger 100 on hard courts, uh, Canary Islands, of course, uh, you can still play there in outdoors in uh, January, which is amazing. Radu Albot uh, is the top seed and he's also the only top 100 player that we have on the Challenger Tour this week. Uh, the other seed in his section is Cobori, but there's also some uh, other interesting Italian guys like Gigante or Maestrelli who could easily win that section for sure. Uh, then we have Borna Goyo playing Kimer Kopeans in the... Uh, in the second section, Borgoyo, of course, skipped the Australian Open qualifying for an unknown reason, because all the other guys that did, you know, they, they just chose other events, and Goyo was originally only supposed to play non-Taburi qualifying, then even withdrew from that. So I think it must have been a, you know, he must have forgotten, but I don't know. Uh, he honestly doesn't have that much in his section. He can play Alexander Shevchenko, the fifth seed, but you know, Shevchenko the hard courts. And then you have Kozlov, Rodriguez, Taverna, Hart... And two qualifiers. Uh, Nardi uh, plays Ofner in a fantastic matchup again uh, later, you know, in the in the to- at the top of the bottom half. And then they can play Maroshan or Alejandro Morocanias. So this is a very strong section. The other seed is Manuel Guinard playing Bonadio. That he can also later play Mager or Russell. Russell maybe could be dangerous. And the second seed for this event is Francesco Passaro. We'll see how he handles the hard courts here. Kaiji Uchida Benoit Pair, it could be a very interesting match. There's also Carlos Taberner, who played surprisingly well in Australian Open qualifying for you know for his hardcore game. 
he beat Kovacevic and then played a decent match against Denis Kudla. So uh, excited to see if he can somehow, you know, uh, if he can somehow get things going here for him here as well. I mean, he, he really needs big results right now because his points are dropping rapidly soon. Uh, he, he didn't have a good second half of the, to the year, uh, obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah, and he can play maybe through Haliti or and a qualifier in the second round. He is also playing a qualifier in the first one. And when it comes to the qualifying, there's some interesting names. Gulbis is going to play Christian Harrison in the final qualifying round. Khmazov has been improving a bit, although sometimes disappointing as well. Uh, Mate Valkush is going to play Daniel Merida Aguilar, which is, which is kind of interesting. Merida Aguilar gave Mayor just five games. Uh, there's Jay Clark. I don't know. You know, he probably can't really get, get on a run in the main draw of the form that he has right now. Medjedovic was leading Ulysses Blanche 5-3 in the second set today and then lost uh, the next four games and the deciding set. So Blanche is going to play Petri Pericard, who's going to be, I think, a very exciting watch in Tenerife. Uh, I wonder if, you know, the backhand will hold up on hard courts. I have not seen much of the qualifying. I'm not sure what the, the, the exact speed of the courts is. Uh, so we'll see about that. Uh, and yeah, Magic Pericard playing Ulysses Blanche, if uh, if Peggy Pericard uh, can make it, I think he's a threat in the main draw. But that, that really depends on whether he will be able, you know, so far he's only really played well in pro tennis on clay in South America, I would say. I'll play in Europe as well, but in general, indoors or hardcourts, he hasn't been that good. Anyway, when it comes to the winner picks, maybe I'll start with what Jakub sent me. And Jakub decided to go with Bornagoyo, which I can't blame him for. With Bornagoyo, there's always this big, you know, this, there's this concern that he's only really performing against, uh, like in, in team-based competitions for whatever reason. On the Challenger Tour, he hasn't been that strong, which is weird, uh, you know. It doesn't make logical sense, but that's 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 what has been happening for with Bornagoyo. Um, you know, he, he has a he has a challenger title in Ortisei, of course, last year. But still, like comparing his performances in team-based competitions like the Davis Cup, like the, the United Cup, it's not close, which is weird. But I think I will have to agree with Jakub here, actually, because I don't really see another option. Goya, Goya has a great quarter. Kopejans, uh, I think he's been out of form. Kozlov, uh, Rodriguez Taverna, Hart, Shevchenko, who's not that good on hard courts. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, another section that I would really like to pick some guys out of it, like Nardi, Ofner, Maroshan. Uh, they're, they're all together. They, they're all, they can all face each other in the first, second round. I'm not going to do that. Passaro, do I, do I trust him against Pear, for example, in the second round? I, I'm not sure I do. And even Taberner can, can do it. You know, Passaro, for now, he can't, can't really play on hard courts. He's mostly, like, finding a way, right? And Radu Albot, I don't know. I don't like being Radu Albot. I and mean, he, he, he was just in, um, of course, in Australian Open qualifying, lost to Brandon Holt in the opening round. I guess I'm going to talk about it a bit later. Um, no, I just don't buy it. I think I'm going to have to follow up Jakub on this one. Uh, whether it would give Bungoyo a top 100 debut? Um, potentially, no. It, it, it would If Goya wins this, I think, uh, you know, of course, the rankings, the next edition of the rankings comes out after the Australian Open. So, yeah, if, if Goya would win this event, he would be, like, on the verge of breaking the top 100. We'll see. It's certainly possible. And I think I'm going to match Jakub yeah, on that. Uh, then we have the uh, 
event in Brazil, in Piracicaba, I think. I checked the pronunciation of it. And it's uh, it has to be mentioned that it's on altitude, about 550 meters, if I remember correctly. I was checking that much earlier, uh, which should make a difference, right? 547, it says here, which uh, it, it's located in the highland, highlands of São Paulo state. So it could be a, a huge difference maker here. We've seen events like Zouk in Switzerland or the ones in Romania, which are theoretically just, I don't know, 300, 400 meters, and it still makes a difference. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we have to look at this event uh, through the, these, um, through, through the, uh, uh, this aspect, let's say. Tabilo is the top seed playing Boscardin Dias in the opening round, uh, the wild card. There's also Colarini Olivieri in that section. Felipe Meligeni Alves is playing Lama in the, in the second section. The fourth seed is uh, Meligeni Alves is the fourth seed. And the Renzo Olivo, straight up from uh, losing to Alex Bolt in Australian Open qualifying, is playing Timo Stoller. It's altitude, you know, so Terence Atmane could do well. Joao Casreis da Silva could do well. Barrios Vera is playing Eduardo Ribeiro. Barrios Vera has been looking quite good. I mean, in, uh, in the Australian Open qualifying, he lost to Zizou Bergs in the second round, but it was a pretty decent match. Uh, of course, he was also missing for like half a year. Uh, he didn't play at all in the second half of 2022. Uh, there's also Juan Manuel Serundolo still in the draw, but I doubt he'll play, honestly. And even if he will, I don't think he will win. He's playing Daniel Dutra da Silva in the opening round, so at least that should be pretty easy for him, I suppose. Uh, and Comesania can, uh, is playing Navone. Oh, I didn't even realize. In the rematch for these two back-to-back Challenger 50 finals in June. But yeah... With Comesania's form right now, I don't know if he can win. Back then, he was so much better. Like, he was so much more consistent than Navona. But you could kind of tell that maybe Navona, you know, could have a higher peak. Anyway, there's also Mateus Puccinelli da Almeida. And the second seed in this section is Gianessi. Uh, sorry, not Gianessi, but Uko Carabelli, who's playing Gianessi. And in the second round, they can play Jesper de Jong. So that's a very, very strong section. And when it comes to the qualifying, I believe the matches uh, are actually, the first round matches are being played as I'm talking. And so I have to check them. Yes, Save of Wield has, has pushed through. JPLF has pulled through. Lavagno, who played very well last week. Um, there's a great match going on right now between Yunseong Chung and Gonzalo Bueno. Maybe Gustavo Haide can do something. Uh, it's possible for sure. Anyway, Jakub picked uh, Thomas Bar- Marcelo Thomas Barrios Vera, or Thomas Barrios Vera, as he is known right now, right? Because I think he cut down on the on the Marcelo uh, not a little while ago. Anyway, uh, I understand that, as I said, I, I've been kind of impressed with him in the past couple of weeks uh, since his comeback. But I am going for Felipe Meligani Alves. I am doing this mostly because it's an altitude. He is doing pretty well in these events most of the time. Uh, I also, you know, remember him winning in Sao Paulo 2020. Remember him winning in Romania last year. So I think that's uh, that's probably you know, reason enough for me to uh, to pick him. I, I believe at home he usually does pretty well as well. So uh, I think he's the perfect pick here. I'm actually kind of surprised that Jakub went with Barrios Vera, but as I said, I can totally understand it. I am very surprised with uh, Jakub's pick in Nontaburi Part 3, though, which is the Challenger 50 now. Uh, we gotta, we got to mention that. But before we get to that, let's just talk about who is in that draw. 
We've got James Duckworth as the top seed. He lost to Kukushkin, of course, in the Australian Open qualifying. And he's going to play Baby Drukayev in the opening round, which could be low-key pretty interesting. Uh, in that section, there's also Morain, Koinski, Zdenek Kolash, who probably won't win a match, although he's playing a qualifier, so maybe. Uh, even Fairness is playing Kasper Zhuk. I was so, so, so disappointed with Zhuk losing to Uchiyama, winning just three games in Montaburi Part 2. Especially after at United Cup, you know, playing against TFO, he seemed to do pretty well. But, well, uh, Nicolas David Yonel is playing Damhuang Li in a match where I think the seed, Yonel, is also the underdog. And Hong is also in that section. He could he could be dangerous. Hertz as well. Petr Gojovczyk straight up from losing Austrian Open qualifying round three, but, you know, it was just such a random run. I think he beat Derek Pham and Adam Walton and then lost to Andujar, so... Not Andujar, sorry. Uh, Andujar was uh, the guy he was supposed to play in the second play in the second round if uh, if Walton, uh, you know, if Walton didn't beat Andujar. Anyway, uh, yeah, the run the run just seemed pretty random. And uh, then he can play Moria or Hassan. Uh, there's also Travalia playing Escoffier, and if Travalia wins, he can play Michalski again. But first, Michalski has to play has to be a qualifier. And we also have Alexander Richard as the second seed here, who's gonna play a qualifier and then another qualifier because there's three qualifiers in you know straight up next to him. And Paul Job is also a seed in this section playing uh, a qualifier and then Dan Adet or Tennis Sandgren. Uh, and when it comes to qualifying, as I said, Uchiyama was going originally. We thought that maybe Kazo is gonna have to beat Jung and Uchiyama. Uchiyama withdrew, so now Kazo has Gaio, and I think he can do it. Uh, why not? There's also Mochizuki, there's Jakub Menchik, which is very exciting. He he beat uh, Andrea Arnaboldi, dropping four games today. Uh, and uh, he, he's going to play uh, Giovanni Fonio tomorrow. I think Squire Donsko is an excellent final quality round matchup as well. Who am I going for here? Uh, as I said, Jakub surprised me here. And he went with uh, Artur Cazot again. Now, whether that's possible, I don't know. I mean, man, is it is it is it really like can he can he just do it physically win fourteen matches in uh, how many days would it be? I think it was uh, Sunday last week where it's where Kazo uh, you know started his Nontaburi campaign, so it would be fourteen matches in fifteen days. I'm gonna say he can't do it, but then again, do I have any good picks in the main draw? Duckworth is probably the sensible option, but you know. I'm I'm on such a such good uh, you know accuracy of getting the winner right fifty percent. I can screw it up, you know. I wanna go for something crazier, and you know what I'm gonna go with? Also a qualifier, but not Kazo. Jakub Menchik. <laughs> this is a little like we still don't really know where Menchik is right now. I think he played this good match against Puyi, which he just choked in a few moments. And then Puyi, of course, uh, retired in the second qualis round in non- in the previous event in Nontaburi. I think Menchik can can win this. Uh, like, if his performance against Puyi is uh, is if anything to go by, I think he's actually like if he gets to the main draw, he probably has a good chance of winning a round. You know, he can play Jab, he can play another qualifier, he can play Michalski, he can play Collage, and he can play Richard. Richard could be very tough. Job maybe, uh, but otherwise he can really win a match or two here. And I don't know. I just want to go for something different this time, and uh, not for Duckworth or follow up on Jakub's Kazopik because, well, yeah, as I said, physically I think it's going to be very tough for him. And Duckworth would just be really boring. 
uh, you know, to, to be here because it, it's just, it seems so obvious and it seems so, uh, you know, there's no balls at all. Yeah, and from what I can see, we're on 43 minutes already. <laughs> My voice is is really going down rapidly. Uh, you know, doing doing an episode by myself is... I forgot how tough it is for the voice. Uh, maybe I was doing... Maybe because I was doing it that a few times before, maybe I was doing it in segments or something, and now I'm just an idiot and, and doing it in one running. But, you know, I still want to get a few hours of sleep before the Austrian Open starts. So let's keep going. Uh, and first I'm going to talk about our qualifier predictions, which Jakub beat me on, and he beat me pretty convincingly, I would say, because a 4-2 in this very draw, 4 points is an excellent score. Like, I've even seen people do 0 out of 16, which is kind of shocking, because, you know, they, they I consider them knowledgeable, and I know they, they know a lot of things about challenger-level tennis, it's just that this draw was very tough to predict, simply. Uh, Jakub getting four points is, is really excellent. Uh, I think this is the first time I'm not in the four or six range, but it's, sadly it's not more than six, it's less than four. Uh, and yeah, and Jakub still got four with a couple of, I think one especially, a very weird and good selection. Uh, so yeah, let's start from, from the, let's, let's just start from the top. Let's just briefly talk about whom we had and, uh, who surprised, who, who disappointed. In the in the first section of the qualifying draw, I had Litu. He had Locoli. Uh, Locoli. That was a second round matchup. Actually, Locoli won it. He was the better player. Litu just sort of stole the second set, thanks to the crowd. And you know, he he can he can ride the momentum of of like the energy of of a crowd for sure. Uh, he is a guy who excels on the big stage, sort of. But well, he didn't enough do that enough. And Locoli beat Ofner in the final qualifying round, which was a big shock for me. I, first of all, the fact that Locoli, after that heartbreaking Numea final, just, you know, bounced back so easily and just straight up recovered so quickly is, is quite, is quite shocking to me. I think I didn't think it was going to happen. And also the fact that, you know, his game doesn't seem that explosive. It, it hasn't been doing that well on the challenger level, even up until Numea, basically. And Numea was obviously a, a pretty weak event. So I don't know. Uh, very, very surprised that Jakub got this right because I, I, I don't think Locoli was a popular pick at all. Uh, especially if you considered, you know, the strength of the field in Numea because maybe you could say that he had some form going or something. Uh, in the second uh, section, Jakub was actually better than me again because we picked guys who were facing in the first round, Richard and Arnaldi. And I went with Richard, he went with Arnaldi. Richard had a couple of set points to level the match. We don't know what would have happened, right? But... Yeah, anyway, uh, it was Arnaldi winning the, the that round. It was Arnaldi beating Alex Bolt then in a great match, saving a match point. But Max Purcell stopped him and got this. Uh, yeah, I think we mentioned in the in the preview of the qualifying that both the first and the second section are so even and anything can happen there. In the third section, we've got Radu Albot, whom we've... I mean, we've both picked Radu Albot, but Brandon Holt qualified by beating him in the opening round, then beating Elias and Trunchaliti. I think both of us were under the impression that Polmans and Klein are the strongest players in the field, uh, which, you know, who knows if it was right. Polmans lost to Trunchaliti, who played a fantastic match and then had nothing in the tank against Holt, seemingly. Uh, Brandon Holt, by the way, is now 6-0 in Grand Slam qualifying, which is so crazy, considering the fact that in challengers, he's never a threat to win titles. He only has two challenger quarterfinals. 
and yet he beats Fritz at the U.S. Open. Yet he qualifies for the U.S. qualifies for the Australian Open. It's, it's so weird. But anyway, yeah, Brandon Holt got that uh, got that section. In section four, we both got a point. I think this is one where most people, uh, well, a lot of people had a point because everyone, I think, was picking between Brody and Struff. Uh, most of the time, Brody had a disappointing loss to Gomez, so we didn't see that second round Brody Struff, but Struff had a very dominant qualifying campaign, so yeah, that's a point for both of us. And in the fifth section, we also got a point uh, both. Uh, we picked Vatanuki, who was so close to losing. I mean, he was 4 6 to 5 down, I think, against Kukushkin, and Kukushkin had a couple of match points, including a smash on one of them, which was, you know, he let it bounce and missed it. It was pretty easy, I would say, uh, and especially as as he missed it on the match point. You know, this is a, this is a very memorable moment. But other than that, Vatanuki clean, uh, cleaned up Varias and Sekulic. In the sixth section, we had Oleksi Krutik, who I would have never picked to do it. He was barely playing on hard courts in the past year or so. Uh, I Jakub had Kudla, I had Kovacevic. Uh, Kudla lost to Krutik in the final qualifying round. Kovacevic lost to Taberner in the opening round, which was a shock. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, Taberner played very well in the Australian Open qualifying for his, you know, for his hardcore abilities. In the seventh section, we both had Gaston, who retired to Alexander Miller. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, Yuxiu Su, you know, Yuxiu Su, I guess, Yuxiu Su, that, that's how you read it. I was uh, I was wondering about it recently, and, and I just figured that, you know, if Suecia was, uh, you know, the age was silenced, then probably here as well. So it would be Yuxiu Su. Uh, the Taiwanese is playing uh, with, with so much confidence right now. He showed great tenacity in uh, not dropping a set because he won four tiebreakers uh, and still he didn't drop a set. Uh, Fairness was serving for a set, I think. Miller was serving twice for a set. So yeah, a crazy run. He's playing with so much confidence right now, very aggressively compared to what he's been doing most of his career. In the eighth section, we both had Riedi who saved three match points against Zapieri, and, you know, we just thought, that's it, right? And he's just going to qualify now. And, of course, he was crushing Van Rijthoven in the opening round in that in that match that seemed somewhat exciting, but it actually wasn't. <clears throat> but Van Rijthoven retired due to back spasms, I think. And then Riedi only got four games of Dalibor Stina, which was such a shock. Uh, I think, it, in hindsight, you know, one thing that makes sense is that he couldn't get the timing on return right, because his returns are usually based on the opponent's power, right? He just sort of gets the right angle of the racket, uh, you know, to to the ball, and 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 then he then he sort of unleashes on them. And Stina, the ball just sits up so much, but still, I don't think it really. Um, it, it's enough to justify that Stina won this match, but of course the check. Like, the defense was just insane. He was everywhere. Even when Riedi was trying to be more patient, construct more points, and then, uh, go to the net in the second set. In the first, he didn't do that at all. In the second set, then Stina was just coming up with some ridiculous dipping passes, you know, just to, to make the ball, to make the volley very uncomfortable for Riedi. Amazing performance, and Stina also saved too much points against Kikar in the second round. He was also 2-4 down in the first round against Jab. Just one of these qualifiers that no one would have predicted. No way. In the ninth section, we both went with Michael Moe, who lost to Vukic in the uh, final round. That's, you know, that's an expected loss, sort of, because we uh, we just were, weren't comfortable picking out of Diallo Vukic. Diallo Vukic and Moe seemed like, uh, you know, the guys who are definitely stronger than the rest of the field. 
And I think Vukic had a fantastic qualities campaign. The way he played against Diallo and Mo, especially, just great matches. I don't know if, you know, he wanted maybe to send a bit of a statement to the Federation for not giving him a wild card. I, you know, I talked to the guy for like two, three minutes a couple of years ago and he doesn't seem like the type. Like he seems like a guy who would totally understand it. I think he's like, very, he's very humble. Uh, but, you know, anyway, I think that the message has been sent because against Mo and Diallo, he's, he played something insane. And especially the message will be sent if he beats Holt in the in the first round of the major, right? Then in the 10th section, we both picked Gombosh, who was so disappointing against Sugita. Sugita played his best tennis in months, that's for sure. He was also close to beating Nava in the second round. Well, somewhat close. He lost the, the deciding set 3-6. Uh, but Gombosh also finished like 25 or 30 po- 30% of his points on unforced errors in the opening round. So, um, I mean, total, total points in the match, right? So you can't really win like that. But I think Sugita was also playing like a very good um, sort of counter-punching, absorbing pace style, and it worked. It was Nicolas Jari who went in. As we said, uh, Jari Virtanen was, was a lottery. Actually, Virtanen probably should have won that. He was leading 7-5 and 4-2 before, getting, before injuring his back. But Jari took full advantage and qualified. In the 11th section, we both had Nardi. I think everyone had Nardi here. And Nardi had a terrible performance against Escobedo, who then qualified and actually started playing some decent tennis. Uh, in the final qualifying round, especially against Kotov, he, I thought he played great. He had very dynamic footwork, like in the good old days. Uh, not the slow as uh, Escobedo that we have seen in the past couple of years, I think, most of the time. Uh, this, is, this is what I think declined about his game, that the footwork, he was sort of... He had this trademark, you know, uh, inside-out forehand or inside-in forehand when falling backwards. And I just didn't think he was going to be able to pull off things like that anymore because of the quality of his movement. But he, yeah, he had he really had some pep in his step, you know, and uh, against Kotov, so kudos to him. And he also started playing for Mexico. Uh, interesting story. Uh, the final qualifying round was the, the you know, like his official debut for Mexico. So he's unbeaten under the Mexican flag. And in the 12th section, we both had Stricker, of course, and Stricker lost to Quaco in the quali- in the final qualifying round. Another disappointment for Stricker because, again, like the section just seemed cut out for him, you know, that, that this was pretty soft and like a great chance to finally make some main tour impact. Well, finally, ma- ma- finally make some main tour impact is actually a stretch because, well, he had a back-to-back main tour quarterfinals, right? Uh, Geneva and uh, Stuttgart back in 2021. But I mean, you know, back then he was like, uh, he appeared in a couple of events and then had to go back to the lower tiers. Right now he actually wouldn't be able to do that, right? He's one event from, basically one event from making a big breakthrough and he of course has the game to do it, but uh, he just, uh, yeah, disappointed again a bit. And Quaco has qualified for his third slam in a row, which is absurd. Uh, I do not understand how that happened. <laughs> so, no, I mean, fair play to him. Uh, this is another uh, Brandon Holt situation where in the, on the Challenger Tour, he's definitely not as dangerous as uh, as at slums. But, you know, he is still more dangerous, though, than Holt on the Challenger Tour, that's for sure. And the 13th section, we uh, Jakub had uh, Tunglin Wu, who was the Nontaburi runner-up, of course, I had Sweeney, which in hindsight was not a good pick. 
I've done the same uh, at the at the US Open with Agamemnon, uh, where the one of the one half of the section was really strong. So I decided to pick a worse player, but from another section. So you know, thinking that maybe he has a good chance to to progress like that. Uh, Agamemnon even made it to the third round, but he had no chances against winning. You know, he had no chances winning against uh, to win against any of the guys who he could have played. And I think the same it was with Sweeney here. Like if Sweeney call, if Sweeney goes to the third round and he lost to Darderi in the second round, by the way, if Sweeney goes to the third round, he's gonna play Passaro, Rosol, Tunglin, War, Bellucci. I don't think he was beating any of these guys. So a bad pick on my side, I think. Uh, Mattia Bellucci was perfect though. Uh, amazing, uh, amazing showing. Six straight sets won, including beating Tunglin Wu, Jakub Speak in the first round. So excited for his, um, you know, main tour debuts and stuff like that. He's just so creative, so good to watch. Uh, and yeah, hopefully, I made this comparison this week that uh, Bellucci in the future could be like a mute with a great serve. And I really like that. Like after, uh, you know, thinking it through. Um, after initially saying that, because uh, yeah, they're they're both um, you know they have amazing hand skills. They're extremely creative. Uh, they are lefties, but Bellucci actually has a fantastic serve as well. So maybe maybe that's uh, that's uh, a great opportunity for you know for a player like that to progress. Because I think Mute with with a big serve would be uh, yeah would be a fantastic player. In the 14th section that I briefly mentioned when I was talking about Goyovchik, it was Hanfan progressing. We had Marterer, but Marterer with, uh, retired after the opening round, uh, set with Hanfman in the opening round. I don't know what would have happened, who knows, but anyway, Hanfman played some very good tennis throughout and could be dangerous at the Australian Open as well. He, he won around last year, of course, and also qualified. In the 15th section, it turns out that Zizou Berg's, uh, you know, not believing in him was maybe not necessary. We both had Rodionov, who lost to Adrian Andreev, but we were we are saying that Rodionov, Maestrelli, Andreev, any one of these guys can be in the final qualities round. And Bergs did exactly, I think we also briefly mentioned that, you know, maybe if he can win the first two rounds, play himself into shape. And that's what he did. Apparently, Zizou also had uh, like a, a flu-like um, illness after arriving in Australia for the United Cup. So that could explain, you know, what was happening there in that matches against Kuzmanov and Sakularidis, although I do not understand why they just didn't play Kopeyans instead, but uh, who knows. Anyway, maybe Kimmer was also not feeling all right, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Zizou, uh, Zizou did, 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 did very well, I think, in the qualifying, just improved of every single match, had its best performance against Andreev, and yeah, it seems that he's now 100% and ready to go. And in the 16th, uh, 16th section, was it was where Jakub got his fourth point with Yuncheng Shang. I was directly matching up against him with Fabian Maroshan in the opening round. And I honestly think that, uh, well, Maroshan could have played better, but no one could have expected how, uh, yeah, how, how much uh, Shang was going to improve in the offseason. He seems to like that the service uh, much more dangerous, even though it's probably never going to be you know that much of a threat. But still, it, it's actually giving him three points, which was so important against Maroshan, especially in in the key moments of the second set. Maroshan had 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 set points to level the match. Uh, he uh, yeah, he seems to have done some good work in the off season. So uh, Yun Shang. So um, yeah, after after I saw that match against Maroshan, I thought he was qualifying uh, as well, and and yeah, that's what he did beating Verdasco and Pirosh. A very strong field, by the way. Uh, Maroshan, Verdasco, Pirosh. 
That's a that's a good quality quality section for sure. Yeah, and that's how Jakub won four and two against me. And then uh, when it comes to the aforementioned draft pick game, which we do, uh, so this one, uh, you know, we we've, we always do it together. Of course, this this time we did it through text messages. I'm gonna try my best to relay it to you, and we're gonna then then revisit the results of that in a week, uh, and or in two weeks if any qualifiers are still in the Australian Open draw by the time by that time. But you know, it's unlikely. Uh, anyway. Uh, how it works. Uh, one of us starts and picks one player, then the other gets to pick two players, then you know it goes like that, one, two, 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 until there's, until there's just one left. Uh, and uh, we get points for our players uh, either winning a match, which is five points, or getting a set, which is one point. So uh, it, it, it combines, like if, if uh, my player wins a match free, uh, well, if, if my player wins a match, I get five, eight points, five for him winning. Uh, it's like an additional just boost, you know, for winning so that it's not about the sets really. And uh, five for winning and three for uh, f- the three sets that he had to win to, uh, or maybe even less because, you know, it can happen that someone retires in the opening set and then we then we would assign more uh, less points than eight. But anyway, if, if there's no retirement, you know, you get eight points for your player winning and w- any any amount of points for the number of sets that your that your players get, and yeah, so we decided that uh, because of because of me losing the the qualifier predictions, I would start, and my first pick was Quaco, just because I think uh, he is like a hundred percent almost to win his uh, first round match. He's playing Ugo Delian, who has an eighty eight twenty three hardcourt record in his career, outdoor hardcourt, and hasn't played since June. Or maybe, yeah, June, Wimbledon, I think. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So that's why I had to go with uh, Quaco. Uh, and then Jakub took Vukic and Holt, which was something I also really wanted to do. Vukic and Holt are, are playing each other. So in a way, you, you know, you secure eight points by doing this. And I'm assuming that it won't be a, a, an easy match. Like I'm assuming that it won't be a 3-0 one way. So you're in fact securing probably nine or te- 10 points, which is amazing. And I honestly also believe that if Vukic beats Holt, he can actually have a shot at Bautista Agut. That's why I'm kind of upset that Jakub got the, got these two. But well, that you know, if if he was starting and he picked someone, I also was gonna go Vukic Holt. Maybe I actually had a chance for a Brainiac play, you know, just a 200 IQ idea, and just pick Vukic in the in my opening uh, option because then he wouldn't be willing to pick Holt. So I could pick up uh, Holt in my next, uh, you know, opportunity. With yeah, I I think that would have been better. But well, I went with Quaco. That's and that's fair. Uh, he otherwise he probably would have picked Quaco as well. Anyway, then I decided to go with Hanfman and Scobedo. Hanfman is playing Hijikata. I saw the odds on that are like dead even. I actually think Hanfman has a better chance. Uh, he seems to enjoy these Australian courts a lot. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty quick. Uh, he's got that, you know, he's got the pace to overpower Rinky, I think. 
and Rinki at times he just seems very far below the ATP tour level. And that's why I, yeah, that's why I decided to go with Hanfman. And I also picked Escobedo, which Jakub was kind of surprised about. I truly think that Escobedo, if he plays like in the third round with Kotov, he can totally beat Taro Daniel to me. Uh, Taro is, um, well, in, in, in weird form right now. He just lost to Rai in Auckland, uh, which was a shocking loss. Uh, you know, in 2022, he was coming into Australia on fire, serving like he, like he's never been before. And he made the third round on it, right? And right now, I don't think it's possible. Um, I think he can beat Escobedo, of course. It's not a done deal. But if Escobedo can really, you know, hit these vintage forehands again, I think he can totally win it. Uh, but yeah, I'm not surprised that Jakub was... Um, was a little stunned to see me pick Escobedo. Then he went with Berks and Shang. I think Berks is a Berks is a guy I really wanted to have because he's playing um, Jere and then Dimitro for Karatsev. Like that could actually be a third round spot for him, right? If he plays his best. But then again, even beating Jere, I think is a is a big ask. So we'll see. And he also went with Shang, who's playing Oscarotta, and I think has a very serious chance of winning as well. Uh, you know, Ota hasn't been quite himself since that knee injury last year. He hasn't returned to that, that form that, you know, took him to these uh, ATP Tour semis, quarterfinals in the grass season, or how good he was in challengers at the end of 2021. So I think Shang, who is, well, Ota played Seng last year, right? And it's, it, it's, it is a bit of a comparison because it's another, you know, former junior star from Asia who maybe doesn't have the physicality that much. But still, I think Shang is so much more athletic than, than Seng. And I think he's going to hold up better against Otta, especially as Otta is not in the same kind of, kind of form. And then we have, uh, I went with Krutik and Vatanuki. Krutik is playing Schwartzman, who has just retired to Bruceby. I, I, you know, I, I keep uh, mixing these events up. I think it was Auckland. Anyway, uh, Schwartzman seems to have an injury and Schwartzman has had a terrible couple of months. And yeah, that's why I picked Krutik. Not because I think Krutik will be particularly strong, but I think Schwartzman is just in a really bad spot right now. Uh, it has to be said also that I think Krutik's hardcore, you know, the fact that he hasn't been playing on hardcourts, it's more a choice than a necessity. And he looked really strong at qualifying at times. And I also went with Vatanuki, who's playing Rindernech. Theoretically, form-wise, he can totally win it. I think Rindernech's heavy serve heavy ball in general takes away some of the assets that Vatanuki has, you know, he's not going to be able to uh, hit on the rise, he's not going to maybe that much, he's not going to be able to control the points that much, return that aggressively, so that's what I'm afraid of, uh, but I decided to just let that slide and, you know, just see what's going to happen. Then Jakub went with Kotov and Varias, which are both lucky losers, and we include the lucky losers in this game if the number of them is odd. Because, you know, for this to work, we need an odd number of competitors. And since there are just two, at least by the time I'm recording this, which is about right now five hours before the Australian Open Major action starts. And Kotov and Varias, as I said, that's what he went with. Uh, Pavel Kotov is playing Griekspor. Griekspor has just won Pune, of course, but, you know, it's a little bit unknown, I think, if he if he is actually going to, like, repeat that level uh, what it, what it's going to do mentally to him. So I, I think it's a very serious choice as well. And I was totally stunned to see Jakub pick Varias. Varias is playing Zverev. And I understand that Zverev is vulnerable right now. I just don't think he's that vulnerable. Uh, Varias has never beaten a top 200 player on hardcourts. 
I think that's that really says it all about why Juan Pablo Farias is probably not beating Alex Zverev here. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, then I went with Stuf and Jari. I think for similar reasons, they both have a chance. You know, with the big games they have, with the serves, I think they can always uh, be a threat against players like, you know, Struf has Struf is playing Tommy Paul, Jari is playing Katsmanovic. They're not favorites. They're playing some of the more solid guys on the tour. But, you know, they have the ability to sort of get, um, get a higher-ranked opponent uh, out of rhythm, especially Jari, of course. Struf probably needs a bit of baseline rhythm himself. So, yeah, that's why I think they both have a pretty decent chance at making the upset. In general, I think, and Jakub agreed with this, uh, in general, there's a lot of players, uh, there's a lot of qualifier matches in the Australian Open this year where the, the, the qualifier has a chance, but it's not obvious and it's not, uh, you know, he's not the favorite, but he has a decent chance. Uh, and then Jakub went with Purcell and Tsuchina which were his last picks, because then I was just left with three guys, so I was going to take two and leave him with one. Purcell is playing Grusovori. I can understand wanting to pick him. I think uh, if Purcell, you know, he has he has a big serve to match Emil's. He uh, has that killer slice, uh, awkward tactics, you know, with which he can sort of disrupt the rhythm of Grusovori. I think if he, like, yeah, plays exactly the style, sort of does everything to disrupt the Finn. I think he can probably do it. And Stina is playing Munar in a match that will make the quick courts in Melbourne just look like clay. I don't know if he has enough, you know, to beat Munar over... The, such a different skill set is required compared to what Stina had to show against Trigeni, right? I don't know if he has enough to win points against Munar over the best of five format. I don't know. That's, that's why I wasn't really keen on picking him. Neither I was keen about picking Purcell, frankly. And then I went with Belucci and Locoli uh, out of the three guys that were left, leaving Jakub with Sue. Uh, I'm actually pretty glad I got both Belucci and Locoli. I wouldn't be shocked because, again, this is related to the fact that so many qualifiers have a like a decent chance in their matches but aren't necessarily the favorites. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they came in for me. I mean, Locoli is playing Goffin, who's so all over the place, and Locoli seems just, you know, be, be sky high on confidence right now, which... Maybe can take him somewhere, even if I don't think his game holds up at the ATP level that much. And Bellucci is playing Bonzi. With Bellucci, there's also the concern that at the ATP Tour he can be overpowered and then he can't use that creativity. He can't use, you know, he can't use that variety that he has. But is Bonzi the kind of opponent to do that? I don't know. Like, if, if so, then barely. And I wouldn't be shocked to see a close match there. And I left Sue for Deminor. Nothing against Sue, but again, I'm not sure he has the caliber of weapons to to beat Deminor, and especially at home, and especially someone as consistent, as fast as Deminor, who will check, test his rally tolerance, and I'm not sure it will hold up. Anyway, I think that's uh, where we're going to finish for this week. Uh, thanks for listening to this uh, to this uh, you know episode I had to do by myself. Uh, I had a lot of fun, honestly. I I I, d- I don't mind. Uh, it's uh, my voice hurts. The, the the throat is definitely gonna have to recover after seventy minutes of talking, uh, you know, straight uh, seventy minutes straight. Uh, but otherwise, I I had fun. Uh, hopefully, you did too. And we'll see you with Jakub hopefully in a week uh, when we're going to discuss Tenerife, 
Piracicaba and Nontaburi. Uh, see you there. Thank you.